I, I want to do two things today. One is to talk about compassion, and then secondly is to bring uh, a message from God's Word. And uh, I'm going to link those together just at the beginning. Uh, I, I've been leading churches for about 20 years, and prior to that I was a, a similar to, to a chaplain. I worked for Scripture Union for 10 years in the UK. Um, don't have the role here, but it was similar to chaplaincy. And um, just along that journey of, of getting to know people, seeing what's happening, and I've spoken a lot of words, I've stood on a lot of platforms, and the amount of information that we have available to us now is mind-blowing. I don't know if you realise, but the time of Jesus, for the amount of information readily available to double, took about 1,500 years. 1,500 years. That then started to reduce, so that it fell into a pattern of about every 100 years, information available would double. Until 1946, and it was 25 years. And then it was worked out that in 1982, it was 13 months. And today the estimation is the information available doubles every 12 hours. So I don't do three-point sermons anymore. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but there's so much information available to us and so many forms of communication that are thrown at us. I, I counted up that within the com compassion world that I operate in, the platforms that we use and the, the ways that different pastors communicate... When I started, when I started in Christian ministry, there was five ways of communicating, and now there's 20. I have to keep above, keep on tack of all those 20 of what people are posting and what's going on, and, and we wonder why we're tired, and we wonder why we have so much information. So this morning, if if um, if you get home and a neighbour says, "Oh, you go to church? What what do you talk about in church today? What happened in church today?" I'd like you to be able to sum it up with one word. So if I just give you one word today, is that okay? That will stick. Are you ready for the word? Interruptions. I want to talk today about interruptions, both in terms of poverty and in terms of, from God's word, about what he wants to say to us on how do we do life in such a frantic world. So one word, interruptions. So let's start with Compassion, a bit about what today is about, how we work, for those of you that, that don't know. So um, behind me on the screen, if you can see our, our, our statement, everything that we're about is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And as a pastor, that drew me to this organization, that um, you're about children, investing for the long term over the long haul. I like that. I like that it's in Jesus' name, that there's not a soft peddling of the gospel, that it's all about Jesus. If we want to see children released from poverty, the best way to do that is introduce them to the Savior. And not just in words, let them meet him by people who care for them, who love them, who, who don't just use words, but with their hands and feet are reaching out and supporting their family. I, I love that about compassion. There's three core things in, in how we work. So on the next slide, just want to highlight those to you. So three things. Firstly, Christ-centered. I've, I've mentioned that already. We, we want to be about Jesus. There's, apparently, I've heard that there's been uh, marketing organizations have said to Compassion, if you took Jesus' name out of your, your mission statement, you can get other people might sponsor. And the answer is always the same. He's staying. <laughs> because he's the reason we do it. He's the reason that we're, we're, we're about 
um, mission, that wanting to help children about Jesus. They were Christ-centered. And secondly, we're child-focused. Yeah, poverty, poverty is awful at um, stripping away opportunity. If we just take what's been happening with, with COVID, we're, we're kind of hitting the headlines. I think we're kind of third in terms of numbers of live cases in the world at the moment. And we've, we've done pretty well up till, up till recently. But I still think we look at, at COVID and we don't think it's had a huge impact compared to many other nations. Take the Philippines, for example. The children were out of school for 22 months. So that means that some children are 22 months starting school before they even start. They're two years behind, even right at the beginning of their lives. That's not okay. And education is such a key factor. I heard you mention in your uh, announcements about a focus on education. I highly, can't stress that highly enough. If we can help a, a child to get a really good education, they have a choice that their parents probably never had. And it's, it's an opportunity we need to be able to grasp. So focusing on children is more important than ever before in terms of the climate that's happening around us and what's going on. So we focus on children. And then thirdly, we're church-based. And for me, it's been in pastoral ministry for, for over 20 years. And, and even when I was working with SU, I worked closely with local churches. What I loved when I heard this about compassion, that they, they only work through the local church. I love that. So if you go and visit a Compassion Project, you don't see a big sign saying Compassion Project. You'll see a sign similar to yours outside, Brackenridge Baptist Church or whatever the name of the church is. And it's the people working with the children are you guys. You're the ones reaching out to the poorest of the poor in your local neighborhood. You're the ones making a difference. So when you sponsor a child through Compassion, you empower the local church to become a hub in the community and to reach out to those around them. And I, that got my attention. I love that as a pastor. So we started a journey um, some years ago. Now when I was pastoring at, at Arana Hills, I was probably about 18 months into my time there. I was there for about 10 years um, in total. And when I started to see people come on board, not just giving to mission, but engaging in a relationship. And we've got a banner here saying a relationship more powerful than poverty, and I want to stress that this morning. So when you sponsor, it's not just about giving money, which helps, but it's about starting and building a relationship. So there's an opportunity this morning to write a letter to the child that you, you may sponsor for the first time this morning. You can write straight away. You can do that here. Or you might already be a sponsor with compassion. And I might just ask you, how's your letter writing going? And this is the point where I see some people look at the floor, you know, or, or they just shut their eyes for a moment and think, oh, yeah, I need to do that. I'm giving you an opportunity as a church today to try and change a statistic. When I go around to churches that I've been to already, so we've launched a partnership, and then I, then I go back there maybe a year later or so, and then I can look at how many letters have been written by sponsors in the church and how many letters have been written by the children they sponsor. And the statistic is pretty much always the same within a, a little bit. And it's that the sponsor children write twice as many letters as the sponsor. And I want to make a comment about this. When we think of poverty, we generally think of poverty being material lack. 
It's what we do in the West because materialism is really important to us. It's part of our culture and our DNA. Even if you say it's not, it's all around us. And it is. And I don't say that as a blame. It's the culture we're in. And it's very hard to get out of that when you're immersed in the culture. But if you go to many countries around the world, the probably most extreme form of poverty isn't material lack. It's relational lack. Because if you are in extreme poverty and you've got very little coming in, you often can't survive without people helping around you. Which is why when we say, oh, can I sponsor, I'm sponsoring a child, can I sponsor their sibling? And generally speaking, the answer is no. Because if you sponsor a child, you're helping the whole family. And we'd rather then sponsor another whole family rather than multiple children within one household. Does that make sense? Because that... What's how, how that child is helped helps the whole family and they will share what they have. And not only that, they'll often share within their community what they have. So can you imagine when we look at poverty and we say, oh, I'm really helping this child, I'm giving money. And they're grateful for that, but then they don't get a letter. And I've sat on the edge of a stage with an 18-year-old girl who never had a letter from her sponsor. And she looked me in the eyes and said this, Simon, don't they love me? How would you answer that question? I floundered around and I, I can tell you, I, didn't, I don't think I did a great job at answering, trying to explain culture and different perspectives and, and those things. And in compassion, we passionately, passionately believe about a relationship more powerful than poverty. And I can't stress letter writing enough. I wish we could do more than letters. I wish there was greater ways to do that. And when one day, do you remember that thing called travel we used to do? You know, you get on a plane and you go to a place somewhere else. We'd love for you as a church to go and visit um, the kids that you sponsor as a church and get messed up. When you see another culture, you see how people live. And then people often say to me, they haven't got much, but they seem really happy. What a crazy statement. Because we think to have stuff, you have to be happy, which is our materialism there again. So today we launch a partnership with Compassion. That um, What that means is, and I'm of you already sponsor, but what we're doing is, t is targeting a particular area of sponsoring. So all the children profiles available today for sponsorship are from an area in Indonesia. So our pretty close neighbours. And what that means is down the track, there'll be an opportunity um, when we can travel again, hopefully, to be able to go as a church group and visit the children that you sponsor. So if you, um, if you, I don't know how familiar you are with Indonesia, but if you can think of Medan, that's in North Sumatra, it's about two and a half hours southeast from Medan. Gives you an idea. There's a, there's a cluster of projects there. It's not just one. There's a cluster of projects where you can sponsor, where we could go and visit um, down the track. I think on the next slide, I've got a map up there for you, just to give you a bit of an idea of, um, of whereabouts. So if you look at Jakarta, where the dot is, and then you just head northwest a little bit, next island, that's where, that's where the cluster of children are. Let me uh, tell a story before we get into God's word together. If you go on the, on the next slide, there's this um, young lady, and her name is Althea. And uh, this story happened a while ago, but it's, it's indelibly planted in my mind, and I will never forget 
this. I, I took a, a church group from Kingaroy to visit their sponsored children in the Philippines. And uh, there was a grandfather in the church, and he, he came to, to one of the leaders that was going, and he said, I'd love to sponsor a child with my granddaughter. She's um, eight years old. When you, when you go there, would you be able to find a, a child of a similar age, ideally a girl, that we could sponsor? And we'd like to put together a bit of a, a kind of a pack. If we, if we wrote her a letter and, um, and gave her a photo and we put a few small gifts together, would you be able to give them to her and just say, we would really, really like to sponsor you? And I thought it was a great idea. I love the idea. I'm a, I'm a grandfather and I love the idea of doing that with grandchildren. I think that's a great idea. And it, it, it sparked something in me when I, when I heard this. And I remember where in, in the church I was... I'm just going to come down here, here a sec. Just give you a visual thing because I'm a visual person. I was standing beside a platform like this and um, we'd, we'd, we'd met some of the kids from the project and the pastor came to speak to me and he came and he stood about here and I cannot remember what he looks like and I cannot remember anything he said. Because just over his right shoulder, um, I spotted Althea and she was sitting on a, on a white plastic chair next to the leader from the church that had arranged this, and a, a translator. And, and I was watching this unfold. I couldn't hear what was going on, but I could see what was, what was happening. And I was so distracted. I, I have, this is a, a total blockage. can't remember anything that happened here. And after a while, I just said, um, excuse me, would you mind? I, I have to be over there. And I went and I sat, or actually I knelt next to this, Three, three people, as Althea was told that she had a sponsor. I'll never forget her reaction. Her, 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 her hands were in her lap like this. And there was this point when I was still with the pastor where her hands came up and she clapped them together really quickly and then buried them again, just like she was a bit embarrassed, you know. And, and the two ladies with her, they said, no, no, let's do this. And I, I watched them clap and that was when I extricated myself and went because I thought, I, I want to be there. I just never forget of seeing what happened on her face when she heard. And then on the, the next slide, you'll see a bit of a close-up. She's holding a photo of her new sponsor sister. Her name is Emmy, and uh, she's eight years old. And I had the privilege of sitting next to Althea when she wrote her first letter and drew a picture of her family. She was really keen that picture of the cat was in there as well that was really important and then you had a mom and her dad and and her sister and she wrote their names on there and I sat with her as she used the paper and pens that were gifted to her from her sponsor sister I will never forget it but it wasn't the end of the story the next day we uh, I actually got to meet uh, Althea's mum her name is Joy and the, the next day we got a message saying um the father has said he'd love to meet us. Would we like to go to his home? Oh, what a privilege. I've seen this beautiful story unfold. Now we get to meet the whole family. So we, we trudged through a, a slum in the Philippines. The, the corridor to their home, I couldn't walk down this way. I had to go this way. That's how narrow it was. I couldn't, I couldn't walk that way. My, hand, my shoulders were, and I'm not that big, my shoulders were just rubbing against the walls. So we walked down this corridor right to the end and there was this little house. Um, seven of us squeezed into this one room and we got to meet the family. And on the next slide, 
here is most of them. The younger sister was just a bit shy and didn't want to be in the photo. But this is Rami, the father, and Thea in the middle, and Joy, and the ugly mug there, you can guess who that is. Rami told me his story. When he was four years old, his mum just left their family. She just up and left. He didn't know why. He assumes she left for another person or maybe go to another family, leaving him and his two sisters with his dad. He was already struggling to make ends meet. And then when he was six, when he was six years old, his dad got put in prison for stealing. But he was stealing to try and provide for the family because it wasn't enough. He had no other close relatives around him, and so Rami and his two sisters were on the street. They decided that they would base themselves around a cathedral near where they, were, where they had lived and because people used to beg from there, and that's what they did. And then he said these words to me. He said, Simon, I knew that God had more for me than this. <coughs> Six years old. He just had this thought inside that God had more for him than what he was currently in. And he said, I knew that if I couldn't get to school, I would really be in trouble. So with the money from begging, they made enough to, to be able to feed themselves and to buy the books he needed to go to school. So he was taking himself to school at six years old, no adult around him. When I was five or six years old, I used to run, run away from school because I hated school, and he's running to school. That, that, that got inside me of the importance of education. Rami, uh, when he was 11 years old, someone, another family took him in and started to care for him. And he got right through high school and got a job. The time I was there, he was working at a water bottling factory six days a week. He would leave the house at 5 a.m. in the morning before his girls were up. And he'd get back around 7 or 8 at night when they were in bed. He'd do that six days a week. That would give him enough, enough money to just provide for their basic essentials living in a slum. And I looked at Rami and I thought, I could, what else could you ask of him? So committed to his family. Look at, look at his, you know, behind me, his daughter just loves him. And the way he embraced them and loved them was phenomenal. I will never forget the emotion of that moment. I'm thinking, you have done everything possible in your power to get on your feet and to provide for your family, and it's still not enough. My heart, it just broke my heart hearing them, hearing them share their story. And then he said this to me. He said, we'll be all right now. We'll be all right now. So grateful for a sponsor. We'll be okay now. I, never, I, I will never forget this whole scenario of, at the, as that unfolded. There's, there's so much more I could tell you about the, when we walked out of the slum and met some of the other kids, kids there when Althea just started to sing. About 30 kids around her, and she's singing this song, carrying this little bag that her sponsor sister had given her. And the translator said, would you like to know what she's singing about? We said, yes. She said, this song is, today is the happiest day of my life. And you wonder why I do this job? <laughs> At Arana, church about, I don't know, about 150, 160 people now, they sponsor 130 children. And I started to see that happen of people getting involved with children. It's a line that Steve Irwin used to say about visiting Australia Zoo. He used to say, don't just look at it, get in with it. And I like that. 
And that's what I like about sponsorship. It's not just giving money to something. It's get in with it. Realize the messiness of their life. Start writing some letters. Put yourself out. You can do that this morning. And we're, we're going to do a bit of a trial this morning. So we often do a letter writing day. But So if you sponsor for the first time, you get a chance to write a letter straight away. If you're already a sponsor, you can come and write. So Kylie and Arthur are going to be down here at the end of the service. And Arthur is going to do um, a bit of a walkthrough about how you can write online. I only write letters on my, from my phone to my sponsor kids. It's so easy. You can attach photos. It's just simple. It's like working with an app. It's so easy. So if you're thinking, oh, that would be so helpful, it would help me to write more frequently, then there's the opportunity to do that. Come and find out. Just hang around afterwards. Grab your coffee. Come back in. And we'd love to help you there. So what does sponsorship cost? Depends how you break things down, really, isn't it? $11 a week is $48 a month. Provides education, a mentor. Gives an opportunity for social-emotional support and help to get away from a poverty thinking. A previous president of Compassion International said to a child, you may be in poverty, but poverty doesn't have to be in you. I like that. I like that, that phrase. And that's something their mentor will do, but it's something you can do as a sponsor of a, of a drip feed. And someone from a, a nation that's seen as wealthy and doing well, someone like that saying that I believe in you, you can do well, has a powerful effect on that, on that social emotional level. So we want to provide for children spiritually, physically, with um, support for medicines and all of that, that kind of thing, health checks, educationally and socio-emotionally. So $11 a week does all four of those things. That's three coffees a week. Well, if you, really, if you buy a coffee out, if you buy a large coffee out every day of the week in a cafe, and you said, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to give that towards sponsorship, that will sponsor three children. So if you don't think twice about buying a coffee out, maybe it's time to think twice about that and say, maybe, maybe I could use that to make a difference in a child's life. On the next slide is this word reminder I start at the beginning. Interrupt, interruptions. I would love us today to be a part of interrupting poverty. The estimations are that COVID-19 has increased extreme poverty by between 120 to 150 million. That means for the first time since the 1990s, extreme poverty has risen instead of declined. That's not okay. In the world that we live in, it's not okay. But we can, make, we can start to make a difference about that this morning. So there's an opportunity to, to sponsor a child with a, with a profile like you saw on the screen. There's, um, they're all out the back in the foyer. There, um, I've got a few older children, so it might be that you're already a sponsor and you think, hey, can we could sponsor an older child, maybe a, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old or a 16-year-old, just for two, three, four or five years maybe? We could do that in addition to what we're already doing. So there's, there's children right from age one all the way through to 18 or 19. So opportunity there to make a difference. Interrupting poverty. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to read this um, passage to you and just think about 
What can we glean from this? What was going on? Because I don't know if you're a planner. You know, where are the planners in the house? Who are the people that like getting everything really ordered? There you all are. You know, you like things to be nice and neat and tidy and all planned out. Where are the flexible people that just like a bit of adventure, you know, go with the flow? If you go for the train, you know, give the train a sporting chance, you know, just get there at the last minute. You know, we're all different, aren't we? We have, have different ways. And so sometimes the planners don't like interruptions because it's stopping the plan and, and getting that done. The flexible people love interruptions. Oh, you're great. Yeah, I can have a chat. Yeah, yeah because it's, it's, it's part of what's in your personality. And then there are some in between. But can I just make a distinction here? I'm not talking um, uh, for the procrastinators. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about... Genuine interruptions, not, not, what's the other word, um, not distractions. Uh, we want to avoid distractions, but interruptions, um, they happen all the time. And how do we embrace them? So let's look at Mark 5. So backdrop to Mark 5, you can get the next slide up. Jesus has been across the lake and he's had the encounter with the, the man possessed by many demons. And if you like, the first interruption happened there where well, he gets off and his, his, just his exit off the boat is interrupted by this guy yelling and screaming. Can you imagine what that would be like? You know, mid-sermon here, someone walks in yelling and screaming. We'd say that was an interruption. Just because it was outside, same thing is happening. And then there's pigs just around the area and they're just eating, you know, minding their own business. And their, their eating gets interrupted by an invasion of these demons exiting from this guy, and they all head over the cliff. Talk about an interruption. And then the people seeing that interruption, they say to Jesus, can you leave here, please? Because you're interrupting our life. Can you, can you leave? And he does. He gets in the boat and he goes to the other side, and this is where we pick up the story. Mark 5, verse 21. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Now, I don't know what his business as usual was going to be that day, but whatever it was was interrupted by a huge crowd of people. Just then a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. So here's the next interruption. Crowd. Jairus on his knees pleading with Jesus, come, come and heal my daughter. She's close to death and she's only 12 years old. Come lay your hands on her, heal her and she will live. Let's just wait here a moment. Big interruption. And what is, what is Jesus' reaction? We'll find out in a moment. He, go, he, goes, he goes with Jairus. I do a lot of traveling in Queensland with my role, part of, big part of my role is regional. So I'm, I'm often going up to Cairns and Townsville. In fact, I head up there later on this week. And on one of my trips up, I, was, um, I stopped for fuel at a servo. And, uh, and I used to work at a servo. And in those days, it was pretty easy. All you had to do was to, you walk out to the car, you'd fill it, fill it with fuel. Do you remember those days? Someone did that for you. And then uh, I take the money, go in, give them the, get the change and go back, go back out again. And we sold a little bit of oil and a few lollies and things. That was, that was pretty much it. But if you go to a servo today, you have to be a barista too, because usually there's coffee on the go. Um, you probably got to be a cook as well, because there's pies, and you've got to be a shop attendant, because there's this whole shop with bread and, and, and milk and all this, these things. And I walk into this servo, and, and the guy at the desk is absolutely swamped. There's about seven people in the queue in front of me, 
and he is rushing around like a mad thing, trying to do coffees, trying to serve the pies, and, and, and obviously having a bad day. Just his whole demeanour said that. So I, I waited, I'm in a particular hurry, and eventually I got to the front, stood at the desk, just opened my mouth to tell him my pump, pump number, and this lady comes up beside me, and she says, oh, excuse me, um, excuse me, uh, um, interrupting, uh, I can't get my petrol flap open, can you help? to the guy behind the, the desk. And his, his eyes fell, his face fell, his shoulders went down. Everything said, I cannot do another thing. This is the, the straw that breaks the camel back kind of thing. And I looked at him and I said, looks like you're having a stressful day. Like I used to be a mechanic. Would you like me to go and help her? And he said, thank you so much. So I said, look, I'll, I'll come back and pay in a minute. Let me go and... So I, I left my point in the queue. He served the next person. I went and got this um, lady's flap open and she could do her fuel and then I went back in the shop and everyone had gone by then and as I walk up to the counter he looks at me with a smile on his face he says thank you thank you and he falls on his knees and said can you help me find Jesus no he didn't no, no. <laughs> but isn't that what we want to happen isn't that what we want to happen we want to serve someone and we long for that reaction that, that Jesus had where this Jairus comes and falls on his knees pleading now that happens. It's happened to my son. Someone fell, literally fell on their knees in front of him saying, can you help me find Jesus? It happens, but it doesn't seem to happen that frequently. A lot of our interruptions are more at, at the servo kind of thing where we help someone and we never really know the outcome. But let me tell you this. I just said, I just said to God, oh, I'm glad to help. It's not a, it's not, not a problem. I'm, I'm not in a hurry. I used to be a mechanic. Not a big deal. I said, it sounds like you've got a, you're having a bit of a mad day. He said, oh, he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, we usually have at least two of us, sometimes three, and I'm here on my own. The cook phoned in sick this morning, and I'm trying to do everything, and I'm just not coping. And I just stopped, and I just said, look, all you can do is do what you can do, isn't it? Don't get stressed about it. People will get grumpy. They just don't know your story. And we had a bit of a chat, and... and and I hope it helped him. And my, my longing is that, that when he got home to his wife or his partner um, and she said, how was your day? I like to think he said, oh, you wouldn't believe today. Oh, it was terrible. The cook didn't turn up. You know, he gives the spill. He says, but you know, there's this one guy and he just came and helped me. And he, he, he helped me with a lady that was struggling to get the petrol flap of a car open. And he just went and chatted to me a bit. And, and I just thought, oh, I can do this just from a bit of encouragement. I like to think he may have said that. It's a bit like if you're a parent and your kids come home from school and you say to them, what did you do at school today? And they say, nothing. <laughs> what they mean is there weren't any interruptions. It was business as usual. That's what they mean. Had there been a fire and all the sprinklers had gone off, you'd have heard about that. Because the interruptions are our stories. When I meet with pastors, I don't talk much business as usual. Most of the things I say to pastors that I hear from them are the interruptions, the difficulties that are struggles, because they become our stories. And if you look through scripture, so much of what we read are interruptions. So much of the gospel narratives are not business as usual. They're interruptions. Let's look at the next um, section, verse 24. Immediately, Jesus went with him, and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. 
She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. Let's keep going. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd, there's another one, came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. Next interruption. So this has, we've got the crowd interrupting, Jairus interrupting, now the woman interrupts the interruption of the interruption. Talk about a layer. For she kept saying to herself, if I could even touch his clothes, I know I'll be healed. And as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped, for she knew it. She could feel in her body instantly being healed of her disease. Let's keep reading. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. I love how that's written in this translation. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. What was that like? Can you try and imagine that? Because some, some of you can, if you go there. Let me give you an example of this. I, I, the, the pastor that took over the church from me, from Arana, when I finished it up, uh, his name was Clinton. And I remember the first time I met his wife and his family. I was standing at the back of the church. I'd just come in. I'd been away for quite a while. And this was my first Sunday back for a long time. And I was chatting to a few people. And um, Clinton came up and he introduced his wife to me. And then his daughters. little clue here. that The, the, the pastor and I were wearing very similar color shirts. And he went off and got chatting to some other people. And I ended up staying there talking before the service. And, and I was talking to someone over here. And I just felt someone, or no, you know when you sense someone coming up, you don't know who they are, they come up behind me and they put their hand on my shoulder from behind, like that. And I turned around abruptly to see who it was because it felt different and it was his wife. And as our eyes met, she went, oh, thought it was Clinton. Now, if you said to me, could you explain that touch? Not a hope. Not a hope. I can't tell you why it felt different. It just felt different. It wasn't sexual. It wasn't untoward. There was nothing untoward about it at all. It just felt different. It was the touch of a wife to her husband, not a friend. And it felt different. We as human beings have an incredible capacity to know what's going on around us by different ways and mediums. But in the West, we largely live in our heads. I could talk, I'd love to talk more about this. I just want to give you a little snippet before I wrap up. There's a brilliant book I've recommended to, I recommend it to pretty much everyone I speak to called Fully Human by a guy called Steve Bidolf. If you've got boys, have had a struggle raising boys, you've probably read the book Raising Boys. If you have boys and you haven't read the book, get the book. It's great. It's a lifesaver. Um, he's a, a, a psychologist, and he wrote this book last year called Fully Human. It's, it's, he would probably come from a different place spiritually to many of us. still worth the read. And he talks about what it means to be fully human, that we have a body, we have a mind, we have emotions, and we have what he calls super sense. If you want to know what that is, you'd have to read the book. But he says to be fully human... We need to be lights on and fully present in all four of those areas all the time. And most of us just live in here. 
And, I, and as I've read the book and the more I've read through the Gospels, I see more and more how fully human Jesus was as well as being fully God he was. And there's so much more available to us there of how Jesus operated. How aware are we when we shake someone's hand or we hand on a shoulder? How, how good are we at reading body language from someone when we say, how are you? And they say, good. When you think, no, I don't think you are. So you stop there and you ask the question, do we do that? Do we interrupt the normal flow of conversation and say, are you sure you're okay? A friend of mine used to say to me, because I would give him the same answer, how are you? He used to work for Script Union. 45 years worked with that organization. Amazing guy. I miss him. He'd say, Simon, how are you? i say, I'm, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Then he'd say, so Simon, how are you really? It's a good phrase to use. Sometimes we need to interrupt people with that phrase in your workplace. Maybe you take them a coffee. Say, how are you going? Just thought you looked a bit tired this morning. Just want to encourage you. We can be the one that can bring interruption in someone's life to bring life and joy, like I brought some life to the, the guy at the servo. Like you bring life to a child in poverty when you start writing letters to them and saying that you love them and you're thinking about them and you're praying for them. It has a powerful effect that sometimes we just think, oh, another interruption, but what about being the interruption? Because often we need them. Verse 33, when the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear and threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story. Jesus said to her, daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. I love that. Jesus just didn't want her healed. He wanted her whole I love that about Jesus. He wanted her to go away with peace in her heart, knowing complete shalom, not just well-being in her body. He wanted her to know what it was like to be fully human. And I wonder how much we're missing of that. Fully human. Are you in touch with your emotions? Are you in touch with the emotions of those around you? It's a whole other message I'd love to share with you at some point about, you know, we walk into a room and we, we feel that the argument we say is heated or there's a, something going on or, or oh, it was cold as ice in there and we weren't talking about the air conditioning. So we just sense something. Are we able to do something about it? Can we interrupt that to bring it to where it should be? Jesus did that. Next interruption as I close. And when he finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house and pushed through the crowd again to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But I love this. Jesus interrupted their interruption. And he said, um, he refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. And when Jesus gets there, he interrupts death. What a saviour. The God of interruptions. How does he need to interrupt your life today? Maybe it's a slowdown. Maybe it's to say, actually, I'm going to stop this morning. I was going to go home and, and get on with lunch because I'm hungry, but actually I'm going to interrupt lunch. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to write a letter. Because you know when you go home, you'll probably forget. 
and put it off because everything else will crowd in. Or maybe today as you go out the door, you're thinking, I, I, could, I could do an interruption of poverty for a child like Thea. I could do that. I could do that for an older child just for a couple of years. I could, I could do that for a, a one-year-old. Let's go the long haul. I could do that with my grandchildren. All I want to say this morning is when you go out of this place, let there be an interruption to business as usual. Otherwise, what's the point of us coming if we don't go out of there any different? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you are the God of interruptions. The way you interrupt life, you, the way you've interrupted sin uh, in our world and in our lives to bring life to us. Father, we are so grateful for what your son has done for us in paying the price for us giving us life, giving us hope, giving us a life in abundance and an opportunity that we can make a difference in other people's lives. So Father, I want to pray for us with our response this morning, whether it's to sponsor a child, write a letter or both those things, or whether it's to go and get on the phone and call someone, or whether it's to, to, to put ourselves out there this week and and pray the dangerous prayer lord help me to see where i need to interrupt or where i need to be interrupted that i might be more like jesus father i pray these things all in his name and for his glory amen